Welcome to episode eight of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Foster, and I'm joined with my co-host, Ando Man. Anderson. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to leave me in there or if I should jump in. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Glad to be here and looking forward to chat about chatting about some of the awesome things that are happening in rugby at the moment. Lots of stuff going on. Yeah, lots to talk about this week. So mm-hmm. um, thanks for joining us for another week. This week, we're going to have a chat about the future of Australian rugby and what we would like to see implemented to make the game more successful in the Australian market. Let's run through our social medias, Ando. Cool. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is the main one. So Instagram is hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Facebook, just search for the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast and we'll come up there. And then on Twitter, it's pick underscore drive rugby. So hit us up on any of those platforms. And thank you to the people that have been liking, sharing and responding, particularly across Instagram and Facebook. We'll be able to mention some of those people tonight. So thank you so much for your ongoing support. Yeah, so um, lots to chat about today. Before we jump into the, the rugby chat, we will just go through who we are and what we do. So we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family, friendly, and positive. Get involved. Get involved. So I think we've gone through everything we're going to cover this week. So let's move to our first segment, which will be our spicy news update. For the first segment this week, we're going to dive into the spicy news. We've got lots to talk about this week. In uh, we've got some player negotiations. We've got some world rugby chairman um, options. So let's uh, let's dive into it. The first article we're going to be talking about uh, was released this afternoon in Sydney. It's currently Monday uh, evening in Sydney. This was just announced tonight. Finally, Rugby Australia and Rupa, the Player Association, have agreed on a deal. Finally. It's been something we've been talking about for the last two or three weeks. So Four weeks, yeah. It's been a whole month of negotiations. It's been a long time coming. So the basic things that come out of this uh, agreement, um, on average, 60% pay a cut reduction for players. Um, the players will receive their full April wages. Um, and then going forward, the reductions will start from then. Uh, should rugby resume by September 30? a new deal will be negotiated. It's pretty big. It's pretty impressive that they finally got into this point. I'm happy that they've got there. Um, I think it shows some of the complexity of the challenges that RA and uh, and Rupa faced because one of the things that this article mentions is the kind of convoluted nature of the different rugby programs in Australia and trying to come to some arrangement for like the sevens programs, the women's programs, the men's programs all together was part of the challenge that they faced. So maybe, I know last week we were questioning, well, why is this taking so yeah. long? Um, it seems like maybe that, the complexity of the different um, programs that are in play is a part of it. Also, I read another article that was saying that the, um, that so there's this part within the deal where some players who are on the higher end of the wage earnings, such as your Dane Hale Petty, Kirtley Beal, Michael Hooper, etc., they are going to be having the option to go on a six-month sabbatical overseas. So they get to go play in England, in Japan, in France, or something like that for six months to try and make up for the lost wages. Supposedly, that was a bit of a sticking point within the discussions too, and mm. that was one of the reasons why it was lengthened out. Yeah, that was something that I did see mentioned uh, in previous weeks, that that was what the Players Association wanted, um, and Rugby Australia wasn't liking that, and they were still sort of stuck around that. But Mm. it seems like that's gone ahead. Now, further details around that, there are up to six players that are um, eligible for this sort of sabbatical, and they're long-serving Wallabies players. Now, this sabbatical of six months needs to be taken between 2021 and 2023 and needs to fall outside of the test windows. Okay. So they still need to be able to be eligible to play for the Wallabies in the test windows, in the test periods. Yep. So overall, it's good that we finally come to a a decision. Um, It doesn't, we don't really have a figure for, for what people are getting because it's all dependent on contracts and who, who's earning what and, and that kind of thing. But it's great that we've got this deal agreed on. And I think the next thing that we can look at is that with the whole negotiation, uh, with the sabbatical 
that's been talked about in this. The next bit of news we're talking about is um, the Japanese Top League has come out today and said that their season for 2021, or 2020, sorry, they're looking at changing the dates for the 2020 season so that will now begin in December and run until March. Which is a problem. Which, Which is, a is a problem. problem. If you're wanting to, if you're an Australian player wanting to take a sabbatical, so you have some players like Lucky McCaffrey did that before the beginning of this season. Devin yep. Pocock did as well, and a few others did. But that was because the um, season would generally start in January and then allow players to come back and then do a preseason with the Super Rugby clubs. Um, that's a big issue if they're changing it because that would then mean that Australian players are not able to get back in time for the start of the Super Rugby season, and Japanese clubs, with every right in the world, if a player signs a contract, do not allow players to leave early. Um, so you have to be there for the full season. Mm-hmm. And so that would be one pretty big barrier for this whole sabbatical idea if that's getting kind of if that season is getting changed. It's not guaranteed, but Jamie Joseph wants to wants it to change, and he's the coach of the national team. So the reason that he's bringing this into place is he wants the the national team to be together for longer. Um, He believes that in favour of a later start to the season, it would allow the national team to stay together during critical parts of the test calendar, which makes sense. I can understand why he's saying this, Um, but it has massive ramifications around their competition and the player talent that is playing in that competition. Uh, You've got super rugby players, you've got French players who now will no longer be able to meet their current contractual contractual agreements to be able to come back and play for their super rugby sides if they're not finishing until March. Mm-hmm. So that just adds another element to this sabbatical thing. So that might mean that players are less, either they have to negotiate specific contracts with the Japanese clubs who may not want them if they can't be there for the full season. Mm. Um, and so it might just mean that places like France are going to be more of a hunting ground because the English premiership is very unlikely to take people on board because they're so heavily um, monitored within the salary cap system that it just wouldn't really work. So you might instead be looking maybe for the Pro 14 competition as well. Um, So that would be like the Irish, Scottish, Welsh teams. Yeah. Potential, but they have really limited overseas, like, spots within the squads you can only have a really restricted number of overseas players um so there's not many opportunities you're looking at like france now sabbatical where do you go you kind of have to go to france if you are looking for six months off yeah interesting times we'll see what Mm. this means for rugby going forward yep 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 move on to wiu funding yeah so rugby australia announced last thursday that they were announcing a relief fund of US $100 million for struggling... you are doing the relief fund, not AI, not rugby union. Oh, what did I say? Uh, <laughs> it's all yeah. good, it's WIU. <laughs> yeah, World Rugby. I, uh, yeah, World Rugby is doing this, not Rugby Australia. So yep, yep, yep. World Rugby has announced this relief fund of roughly Australian $158 million to help the struggling nations due to the coronavirus pandemic. Now, the fund is compromising advances and loans, and it will be available to the Six Nations and Sanzar unions requiring requiring immediate emergency funding subject to criteria being met. So basically, what that means is um, Australia or Rugby Australia had to figure out the kind of player salary deals before they were eligible to apply for this funding. So it's not like Australia could continue to pay their players full salaries um, and the only way they could pay that was by getting this World Rugby loan. No, that's not how it worked. We had to have come up with, or we, RA, had to have come up with that deal already, figured out what the reduced salaries would be, and then with that figure and that data in mind, then go to World Rugby, put in our application, and we should be receiving... We don't know the numbers yet, but we will be receiving some funding from uh, World Rugby. It'll base it'll essentially take the form of an interest-free loan or, in- or a very low interest loan. It's interesting how this sort of date came out. So Thursday, World Rugby announces this. Um, today, Monday, Rugby Australia announces that they've made the agreement with Rupa. Do you think that some of the sort of the sticking points that Rugby Australia were potentially hesitant about that the Players Association was bringing forward 
have now been approved because they're trying to get this whole thing done so quickly? Um, it may be a part of it, yeah. I mean, that puts Rupa in a pretty good place, knowing that if RA doesn't make an agreement with Rupa, then they're not eligible for uh, WIU funding. So mm. it could have been an element within the negotiations, but, I mean, we're not going to know that unless we're in the room at the time as it's happening. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand from reading last week, in Australia really wasn't happy about the cha- the um, the sabbatical idea of having their players going overseas. Yeah. Play. Yep. Um, now, maybe from what has been announced now, it does seem like what was initially uh, brought forward by the Players Association, what was agreed to is two different things. I think they were wanting it sort of open to any player, whereas yep. they've only got it to the, the higher levels. But in saying that, um, I don't think Rugby Australia would have been too keen on having their top Wallabies players not playing Super Rugby for the most of the season yep. in 2021 or 2022. Maybe it's very helpful that it is a limited number of players. So as you were mentioning before, at the most it's six. And yep. like we were saying, the key players are Hooper, uh, Beal, Hallett Petty as three of the main ones. Of those, uh, Beal is probably going to France anyway. Yep. And I'm not confident he'd actually be in a team if it was picked based on round seven form from Super Rugby this year. Uh, Haywood Petty has been playing really well, but if you look, you got Tom Banks as immediate replacement for him. Yep. Uh, and Hooper, yes, he is a really high-quality player, and I think we would miss him. But you also have other players like Liam Wright who are trying to knock down a door for that number seven spot. And so I'm not saying Wright is as good as Hooper. They offer different things. But mm-hmm. at the very least, we've got a large number of high-quality open sides that could kind of fit fill that space if Hooper is away for six months. I'm not so much worried about the the space not being filled in the Wallabies team. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking more of the fact that the star power that it brings to have Michael Hooper and Dane Halep-Petty running around for um, the Waratahs and the Rebels brings yep. play, people into Super Rugby. Now, mm-hmm. we've got our biggest, most successful stars off playing in France or in Japan... What, what's the incentive for people to to, to tune in, I guess? Which yeah. is potentially, a, it's a tough thing because as particularly now, we've got no sport and what Super Rugby will look like in six months, no one knows. And I think that's going to be something we might chat about when we look at our ideas yeah. about improving the game. Because what you're saying, like it's kind of some of the subtext beneath what you were saying there is that people watch the games because of the stars. Uh, the, the top quality players and yeah obviously that's going to be a factor but I think if there's enough marketing and there's enough appropriate promotion that's trying to create alternate narratives around games and the competition so that you're kind of invested within the game beyond the names of the players but for what that storyline is telling you then I think that that is a way that RA and New South Wales, New South Wales rugby and Queensland rugby could be promoting things in a way that kind of alleviates the loss of some of those star players for that six month yeah. period. Um, yeah. yeah, true. Yeah, Very so true. I mean, we'll get into that kind of idea later. Um, but I mean, that's pretty simple. One of the other things that WIU was saying is that obviously the July test fixtures just won't be going ahead. Um, Australia is going relatively well compared to the global situation with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, But I really don't see global travel restrictions being opened up within, what, three, four months, Um, especially with how heavily the United Kingdom is being hit by the pandemic. So we were meant to be having Ireland coming down and playing, and then it was Fiji as well. Maybe the Fiji game could go ahead. Maybe they reschedule it and have New Zealand play Australia because it may well be that travel restrictions between New Zealand and Australia are opened up by July. That's actually possible, or June, July. Um, But I really doubt we're going to be having any Northern Hemisphere travel. Well, in saying that, and I guess it's something we can also look at uh, in the future, but... Um, if we do potentially play a test in June or July against the All Blacks, who's going to coach us? Oh, yeah. Well, Dave I mean, Rennie's in Glasgow. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he could, depends on if all fights are cancelled or if he just comes here and then takes a two-week isolation period. Yeah, it'd um, be interesting to see what happens, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about Who that. Knows? We don't have a coach at the moment. Yeah, we don't have a, co- a coach in the country. 
Well, yeah, we've got the um, we've got the assistant coaches who are kind of overseeing a program at the yeah. moment. Um, but yeah, okay, good point. So what they are saying the... is that they are looking at postponing them to October. Yeah, yeah, true. Now I don't know how that would work if we did play a, a Super Rugby competition that started in September. But I guess there's lots of water to go under the bridge before we start looking at if we're playing tests this year and mm. and if not. So, yeah, let's yep. move on to the next one. Cool. I might um, kind of drive this a bit because I've looked heavily, pretty heavily into it. And um, the Egg Chasers Rugby Pod do a really good overview of this issue. So, basically, World Rugby Union, the chairman is up for nominations in May. So the current yep. chairman is Sir Bill Beaumont, and he's up for re-election, and the only person that is contesting him for the position of chairman is ex-Argentinian scrum half um, Gus Pichot. Oh, Pichot? 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 Pichot. Um, I'll say the silent T because it sounds more sophisticated. But basically, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really interesting. I had a look. They both put out... Um, what are they called, manifestos about what they're trying to achieve if they were to be elected to be the chairman of World Rugby Union. And Bill Beaumont basically came out with five main points. They're pretty simple. Uh, wants greater clarity of the purpose and strategy of WIU. Two, he wants to have a governance review of WIU because he wants to get rid of the old guard. Uh, three, he supposedly is pushing for a global calendar, which mm -hmm. would benefit with the alignment of seasons between Northern and Southern Hemisphere rugby, and yep. that would help with broadcast deals as well. Uh, fourth, review funding arrangements and have better targeted funding with strategic goals aligned with that funding. So if you get money, what are you going to do with it, and how do we know that you've used it for what you said you're going to? Uh, and then fifth, continue to maintain the health and welfare of the players. Now, Gus Pichot is essentially the same, but, and this is the big but within it, he has a huge emphasis on the global game. Now, the main thing he is pushing for, which supposedly Bill Beaumont is as well, is this idea of a nation's championship. Do you remember this from some of the discussions happening in 2019? Yep. Awesome. So yeah. for the third chair, for the audience, I'll just run through it really quickly. Basically, what um, Bill Beaumont and World Rugby tried to push in last year was to have alignment between the Six Nations competition in Europe, which has England, Ireland, Scotland, France, Wales and Italy, with the rugby championship in the Southern Hemisphere, but adding um, Fiji and Japan or Pacific Island team in Japan, I think was yeah. it. So six and six, basically, northern and southern. Uh, and what would happen is you'd have the Six Nations competition in the northern hemisphere. Um, you'd have a rugby championship in the southern. But then there'd be playoffs against the winners of each to determine, like, a nation's champion. Okay, yeah. so it's like a cup system. But you get um, you play off from the winners of each of the comps. Um the reason why it got scuppered in 2019 was because World Rugby was pushing to have a second tier below each of them or to have one tier with the main nations, but you could actually get relegated from that. Yeah. And so you had nations like Italy and Scotland, so the weaker European nations, who were like, hell no, we don't want to risk relegation. <laughs> and so they vetoed it and it didn't go through. So that's what happened in 2019. And Gus Pichot was the vice chairman of WIU underneath Bill Beaumont at that point, right? Yep. So now what Gus Pichot is trying to push forward is for this nation's championship to go ahead and to have that second tier happening as well because he's really trying to drive a world global approach to rugby and trying to remove it slightly from the traditional European power bases of France and England, where the majority of the money in the, in the game actually is. Um, so he's really driving and pushing for that. And really, really fascinating is that Australia was the nation that seconded Pichot's uh, bid to be chairman. So when, when you put in a bid, you need someone to second you to be like, yes, I second him. I support his bid kind of thing. Australia was the one that seconded it. The day after that, the day after he puts his bid forward, and Pichot is Argentinian. I didn't actually say that, but Pichot is Argentinian. Yeah. Um, he, the day after that, Argentina withdrew from the 2027 World Cup bid for rugby. And so that that competition was kind of the two contenders were Argentina and Australia. And the day after Australia supports Pichot's bid for being chairman, 
Argentina withdraws, leaving Australia as a front runner to host the 2027 Rugby World Cup. So there's oh, a lot yeah. of politics that are going on here. And now there's a huge part of me that's really excited that uh, in seven years' time we might have a World Cup on Australian soil. Um, but that's that's the kind of bigger picture of what's going on. So now that I've given that given that kind of overview, do you have any thoughts, ideas, responses that are coming from that? It's two completely different approaches of people to the um, to this position of chairman. So Bill Beaumont or Sir Bill Beaumont has never actually played the game professionally. He's only ever played um, as an amateur. Now, um, Gussie P- Pichot, is that how we're saying it? Um, sure, let's go with it. Pichot, yes. Has, has <laughs> represented Argentina as their scrum half for a number of seasons. So you've got two completely different approaches to the game. Um, you've also got someone, so Bill is, I think, 76, around that sort of age. He's, he's and, um, mid-60s. Oh, okay. Maybe 67 then. I think I flipped them over. Um <laughs> And uh, he, uh, Gussie is about 40, late 40s. 45. He's 45. Yeah. So you've got two completely different approaches to the um, to the position, being com- two completely different backgrounds, two completely different um, ideas. And, yeah, it's just it, it's interesting to see um, how they're sort of going against each other at the moment and how they're... Um, sort of approaching this. There've been a lot of interaction on social media. I've seen from Gussie's point of view. I've yep. seen him in a lot of YouTube videos. I've seen him in a lot of podcasts. Yep. Um, I've seen Bill sort of more in the the sort of um, standard traditional, tabloid. Traditional media. Yeah, so in tabloids and doing interviews and papers and that kind of thing. So I would say that Gussie's sort of the, the younger man's, mm-hmm. got the younger man's vote. He seems to have, in my opinion, he seems to have a better idea of how the game will grow, um, whereas Bill seems to be more used to the position he's in, wants to keep that spot. Um, he's not doing a bad role at the moment. Yep. But I would, in my opinion, I would be going with Gussie. I think what he's bringing to the to the position is a little bit more in line with what we'd like to see happen in the game as opposed to what Bill is looking at bringing in. I think the real reason why you want Gus Pichot in is because he wants to spend a lot of money developing a really high-quality rugby union game, like console game, and because he wants to use that as like a counterpoint to FIFA to try and build up popularity in the younger markets. And I know you like your rugby PlayStation games. I do. So I'm pretty sure that's why you want him. Don't give me this talk about global calendars and stuff. You just want the PlayStation rugby games. Look, I'm not going to lie. That is that is high on the agenda. Um, <laughs> interesting though, what he, what has come out of his chats uh, in in regards to the PlayStation and uh, to, in regards to the video game sort of sector, um, he himself, uh, Gussie, has approached EA Sports and has spoken to them about developing another rugby game, and it fell through because of World Rugby's interaction. So he's yeah, saying that okay. So he's actually previously gone to them as chairman, as um, vice chairman, uh, vice chairman of World Rugby, and it didn't get the official sign off by World Rugby to go ahead, and so it got dropped by EA Sports. Wow. This is what he's already done, and he's saying that if I get the chairman role, I will definitely push that through. Yeah. And he's looking at looking at the completely other side of, um, I guess rugby, in a sense, to have a, a, a real. Um, competitive video game format where we can then look at what's the word like an esports side of yeah things. esport like yeah, he was looking at a professional version. game professional esports yeah cool version of the game yeah that sounds really exciting and i think what he's doing there is he's just broadening the market base and the appeal that rugby can provide beyond the well as he was saying actually as beaumont was saying in his manifesto wanting to kind of get rid of the old guard in a way Pichot's idea from this gaming and esports point of view is very much that idea of broadening the market base and trying to appeal to people who may not previously have been a part of the rugby fraternity yeah previously. Um, now, one of the one of the fascinating political machinations that's going on within this l- links to Bill Beaumont's nomination and bid. So, um, when you look at the World Rugby page or World Rugby media release about the nominations, uh, Beaumont was seconded by the Fiji Rugby Union. Okay, cool, whatever. But 
the head of Fiji, the chairman of Fiji Rugby Union, is a guy called Francis Keane. In 2007, Francis Keane was convicted of manslaughter. So he bashed a guy and to death at the wedding of the president of Fiji's daughter. Okay? What? He then was given an 18-month sentence, only served three months of them on full pay before being released. And um, so that's in 2007. In 2006, Fiji went through a military coup and the government was kicked out and the military took over. And at the time, Keane was the head of the Navy, right? So he, after he's released, he was then given the position as chairman of Fiji Rugby. And this is a guy who's convicted of manslaughter um, there are supposedly there are allegations of rampant homophobia in recordings that have been taped of him. I'm not sure how much world rugby are going to like the idea of the head of Fiji rugby having recordings of blatant homophobia, mm. um, considering the stance that a lot of nations have taken in support of gay rights in many great ways. And so it, it just provides this little may potentially a taint upon Beaumont's bid because the supporting nations, the chairman of them is getting investigated for these issues. So it's just an interesting angle to be taking and maybe that will help Gus Pichot's nomination. Maybe. Now, a question I have for you in regards to that is Bill has been seconded by the Fiji Rugby Union. Mm -hmm. So even if their chairman does get stood down or um, their head of Fiji Rugby gets withdrawn... Yep. Someone else will take the role, and I would imagine that the union would still be backing Bill. Oh to yeah. Take the, yeah. Take that. Take that position. So I don't. I don't know if that would be enough. Like the personal allegations and things would be enough to get Bill, like out of the position to lose the role. I um, don't think it would do that. I just wonder if it provides a bit of a reputation hit or a smear on his campaign. I don't know. It's one yeah. of those intangibles. It's hard to quantify. But it just if provides it like sways some narrative. of the votes in against him or something. Yeah, if someone if someone's fifty fifty, and then you have this issue against um, the supporters of Beaumont, then maybe people will move towards Pichot rather than Beaumont if they were kind of sitting on the fence. Maybe, um, perhaps that won't factor into the equation. But it's just an interesting behind the scenes yeah. storyline. Very interesting. Okay. Well, when so when is the election? When is the? It's in May. Vote? I couldn't find a specific date for May. it, but it's in May. Okay, so a few more weeks to go, mm-hmm. and we might have a new chairman. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, I recommend that people check out the Rugby Pass interview with Pichot. It's really, really fascinating. Gives you a good insight into what he's trying to do. Um, he's pretty kind of charismatic as well. So Yeah, we'll put the link out. up on our socials so you can check us out while you're there. Oh, one thing I want to quickly say, you know how I just kind of showed you some or spoke about some of the issues behind Beaumont's bid. I have heard rumours and rumblings about some shady business and mining deals that with companies that Pichot has been involved with. Um, I haven't had time to investigate those and get to the depths of them. But just be aware that whilst he says many good things, maybe Pichot isn't squeaky clean either. Yeah. Just just to provide a balanced commentary. I wouldn't want someone to say, oh, you guys just love Pichot because of the gaming side of things. Um, I mean, so it's I up there. To... It is up there. No, no, I'm <laughs> <laughs> I think Look, it does matter. It's, everyone's, it's a good so I'm getting everyone's got the um Everyone's got the skeletons in the closet. So Exactly, exactly. All right, should we move on? Let's move into our chat about the positives and the future of Australian rugby. Okay, we move to our next section now, which is all about the ways in which we believe the game of rugby union could be improved, focusing on Australia, but realistically, the impacts will go beyond just Australia. Now, we put out the call on social media, across Facebook and Instagram particularly, asking for your thoughts and your opinions, and you didn't let us down, so thank you. So to start with, Mitch, what I'll do is I'll read this um, submission from Temba Thompson, then I'll get your thoughts on it. Yeah, cool. Either rebranding the Australian national rugby team as the Australian Super Rugby A's, or dropping the stupid Giddo law and winning some trophies again. Sean McMahon, Will, Skelt- Will Skelton, and Naira Voro, please. It's no coincidence that the Springboks just won the World Cup the very year they got all their players back from overseas. The argument that it would destroy the Super Rugby was hogwash. 
seeing as the Sharks and the Stormers were looking the informed teams of the 2020 comp whilst also drawing the biggest crowds. What do you think, mate? What do you think? Uh, interesting call. I don't I don't agree with the Australian Super Rugby A's changing of the name. Um, <laughs> that's a bit of a... That's a, against the, the grain there. Um, but I think relaxing the ghetto laws, definitely something that we should be looking at. Getting Sean McMahon back, Will Skelton and Noah Voro, they would be deadly in our, in our team at the moment. Mm, mm. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that the Sharks and Stormers were the, the informed teams of 2020. Yeah, the Stormers were going all right. The Sharks um, were pretty good. The Sharks were going all right too. We, we had seven weeks though, so I would... <laughs> <laughs> Early days. There was de- uh, Outside of those two teams though, the, the crowds in, in South Africa also weren't massive, so I wouldn't say that... Um, by by relaxing the ghetto laws, it's going to bring more crowds to Super Rugby or that kind of thing. So um, I don't know. I I like the idea of relaxing the ghetto law, um, but also I do. I personally do agree with we want our best Australian players playing Super Rugby in Australia. Yeah, I think the point that he makes about. Um... So, fair enough. The Sharks were doing really well. They had a fantastic tour where they only went down to the, I think it was the Hurricanes, but then beat the, was it the Reds and the Rebels away? Um, yes. So, that, they were playing really, really well. But the the thing about saying, oh, okay, so South Africa won because they brought all their players back from Europe or they allowed all their players to play. Um, so, therefore, Australia should do the same. I don't think you can conflate the two. You can take one and say it should be the same for Australia as well. Yep. Because what South Africa has going for them is the huge player pool that they have. Like rugby union is the national sport of South Africa, and that is not the case in Australia. We have much lower population figures for who plays rugby. And so I just don't think we have the depth of players to allow our best players to go and play in Europe and then Australian super rugby teams to still be at a high standard for the super rugby competition. Now, it may work for um, the super rugby teams in South Africa, but you also got to remember that their two worst teams were just shunted off to go play in Europe in a Pro 14. So the Cheetahs and the Kings, who were the bottom dwellers of the South African conference for the last few years, they're gone and they're playing over in Europe. So that means that everybody left is generally of a higher quality as well within South African conference. So I think there's a couple of factors. Like I, I, I get what he's saying and I see what it, the strength that it provided the South African national team. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to be exactly the same for the Australian national team. Yep. Agree. Okay, cool. Um, now we also had submission from Chris Australian only competition to rival the time zones and accessibility of AFL slash NRL. What do you think with that one? It's something I think we'll get into with our chats further, but it is, it's a good idea. Uh, going forward, Australia definitely need, uh, Australian rugby union definitely needs to be looking at competing against AFL and NRL because at the moment we're the, the third little brother um, of those two competitions and the, just the representation in the Australian market is just dwindling. So mm. definitely a, something that we could be looking at. Yeah, and I think it might be something we talk about more, but I just want to say, where does the broadcast money come from? So let's just let's just put that question out there. If we're just doing an Australian-only competition, who's buying that? And where does that loss in revenue from broadcast arrangements, where are we making up that loss in order Channel, to play quality? Channel pay? 9. Yeah, sure, cool. Um, <laughs> okay, we also have a submission from Tim. Needs we need a shot clock for setting scrums. Thoughts? Uh, the NRL do it. I don't know if it's particularly changed the game all that much for them, but there is a lot of wasted time in in rugby union at the moment. So introducing mm-hmm. something like this would be would be beneficial to so just to cr- increase the amount of um, ball in play time that we get for the eighty minutes and just reduce the amount of dead dead time that we have yeah i think that might be a good plan because one of the ideas about law changes that you could have is to um to stop the clock when scrums are being set right yeah the problem is that pushes the length of the game out significantly and that'll impact upon broadcasting arrangements as well so maybe a shot clock is a better idea just limiting the time that you have 
Um, the problem with that is I think one of the reasons why scrums take so long to pack is because there's a set process to make sure everyone's bound on properly. And a large part of that is due to player welfare as well. Uh, so rushing I, wouldn't, that process. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I think in terms of when, when the infringement happens and the scrum is about to be set, there's too much dead time in that time. And I think that's where bringing in a shot clock would help. So the ball gets knocked on, the referee blows his whistle. You've got, I don't know, a minute or a minute and a half, however long it takes to set the scrum. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that the scrum needs to be engaged by that time. It just means that both teams are ready and at the point where the referee can say crouch in that time frame. Because at the moment, that's when you've got... And uh, Sokopi Kepu was absolutely brilliant doing this every time that the the referee blew time off for a scrum. Oh, I need to do my shoelace up. Oh, my hamstring's tight. Oh, yeah. my back's sore. Like, he would just milk it for so long because he just wanted to give the boys that little bit of rest and it just meant that the game dragged out and it just lost the momentum. So... <laughs> I, what I actually, I really like that now that you've explained it. Um, you mentioned, you were just throwing the figure out there, but like a minute, a minute and a half. I actually think you could drop that down to like 20 seconds, 15 to 20 seconds from where the, the penalty is blown. And you yep. go, okay, you guys need to be ready to set within 20 seconds. Otherwise, the attacking team gets... Um, a free kick. It'd be a short arm. Like yeah, short yep. arm penalty. Something like that just to provide some impetus. That means we're getting player safety. Whilst yep. also having that natural speeding up of the process because okay. that doesn't that doesn't remove any of the safety protocols around setting the scrum because the referee will still go through the process of crouch mm. making sure yeah, that correct. everyone's crouched and ready yeah. bind like that's why we have the calls mm-hmm. it's getting to the point where we can say crouch yeah so, cool. yeah good i idea. like that i think that's a really re- that i think that's a very reasonable and simple amendment to make that could actually improve things yeah okay then the um, final from the crowd was actually from your Mrs. Bryony. She put <laughs> forward the idea, referee's mic to broadcast to the stands so we can hear what the referee is blowing the penalty for. So that's specifically talking for the live experience when you're at the stadium. Yeah. Thoughts? Brilliant idea. The NRL do does this at the moment. Mm-hmm. So when you're at a league game and something ha- they don't they probably don't do it to the degree that this happens where they blow the whistle and then you hear what the penalty was for. Um, they do... Uh, broadcast the referee though when he's talking so he's talking to players or he's whatever he's interacting um, with they do broadcast in the stadium so the technology is definitely there what I think this suggestion is saying is that at the moment when you're at the game the referee blows his whistle you'll hear that because it's loud Mm -hmm. and then he'll make the the signal so you know knock on or whatever it is but if you don't know what the signal is you don't see it because you can't see it from everywhere you actually don't know what the penalty is for and different teams do have different sort of procedures where they will put something up on the scoreboard to say what it was. But I don't know, 60% no of the time, it's wrong. <laughs> we, let's hold on that because it's actually one of the things I want to talk about a bit further in our conversation yep. in a moment. So I don't want to take all my thunder for what I'm going to say. <laughs> um, what we're going to do now is I've actually got a friend of the pod, Garth Pryor, who's going to be calling in because I wanted to pick his brains as a sports mad fan about what would be drawing him back into the game played in heaven. So let's jump to that call now. <laughs> So with us is is Garth Pryor, friend of the pod, self-confessed rugby tragic, man who listens to many podcasts. What a legend of the game. <laughs> Garth, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us, guys. <laughs> Absolute pleasure, <laughs> mate. Um, now, most of what I said was joking there. And there's a real reason why I wanted you to come on, because you are a sports mad man. So can you chat to us about some of the sports you follow, how often you watch them, who your favorite team is, like that kind of thing? Yeah, look, I am an absolute sports tragic. I'll watch pretty much anything, um, rugby included. Um, I'm more of a league and AFL kind of guy. That's more my thing. Who are your teams? Uh, well, I'm a Raiders man in the NRL, mm-hmm. and I'm a Collingwood supporter for the AFL. Um, and this no-sport lockdown business is really <laughs> its not good for me at all. I've taken – last week I was watching – reruns of the masters anywhere from <laughs> when they had video of it to now and it was on all weekend i just kept watching and kate you know my wife couldn't believe that i was <laughs> watching reruns i'd already clearly watched but i um yeah i pretty much watch anything 
So I find that really interesting that it's only because of social isolation through a pandemic that we've managed to get you onto the pod. So that's, this is what it's taken for you to contribute to a rugby union pod, mate. It's gold. Um, Not necessarily. <laughs> it's a I mean, Monday night. Be... Have a sport on a Monday night. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Mate, wanted to direct things now to a bit rugby union. Um, how many games have you been to? And in general, what was your experience like? Because you said you're a rugby league fan. Why? Like, talk, talk, talk to us about your rugby union experience. Look, I've only been to probably maybe five or six games total. Were they, were uh, they Tars or Wallabies games? I've never been to a Wallabies game, I don't think. I've been to the Tars. I did go to the Tars grand final win, however many years ago that was. Oh, yeah, 2014. That's even been my first rugby game or maybe first or second game. Um, So that was really good. So I really enjoyed that. Like, we were with a bunch of guys and we obviously watched the Tars win. It was a great game. So that was epic. Um, I've then been to other games like last season at the SFS. Oh, sorry, at the cricket ground, um, which was less good because the atmosphere at that particular ground wasn't great for rugby. That was first at Crusaders last season, wasn't it? We played a few times there. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Played a few, and it was like, yeah, there was not a huge crowd, and it's much more spattered around that kind of ground. Um, yeah. That's probably the last two I think was last season. So yeah, mm-hmm. I reckon I've been to probably four or five. Yep. And what was your kind of feel or vibe like going to those games versus some of your experiences as an AFL fan or a Collingwood supporter? Um. Well, speaking from being at the SCG. Of all the different codes, everything I've been to the SCG, the rugby was probably last on the list for kind yeah. of atmosphere. Yeah. What was it? What was the difference for you? Well, because the crowd was a lot like it was only a, like a, a Tars, you know, round three kind of against. I'm not sure which team it was. Um, Might have been the Hurricanes or something. I think. So there was only maybe. Eight to 10,000 people. And in a stadium that holds 50, mm. with the circular dimensions and a square field, you know, that you really lose a lot of atmosphere there. Mm. Um, so even like for cricket, for example, like I've been to Big Bash games there and you can you might get only a few more than that, but at least the whole arena is kind of in play. Yeah. Um, same yeah. with AFL, like AFL games, the whole thing's in play. I'm not, maybe I haven't watched a league game there. Um I'm sure league games, they were probably very similar to the atmosphere gets kind of lost in those interim kind of spaces. Yep, okay. um, but yeah, I, I have enjoyed other rugby games. They're like the other, like the Tars grand final that I went and saw, that was out at Homebush. That was amazing. Like that was a, a great game. Um, so anything that, nothing's really to compare to that, like a grand final win. Yeah. Really yeah. Huge, it's going to be hard to compare, you know. So one of the main questions I had for you, mate, and I know Thank you. You're being quite um, conservative <laughs> in some of your answers here. Um, the, the the main thing I kind of wanted to hear from you is uh, I, I know you quite well. We're good mates. And I know how much of a tragic you are for other sports, right? Absolutely. And I then go, mate, why don't you why don't you follow the Tars? Because we're based in Sydney. Why don't you follow the Tars as much as you do the Raiders or as much as you do? Like, you're in Sydney and you support the Pies, Collingwood Magpies. Like, mm-hmm. Why aren't you going for the local rugby union team? Why is it the rugby union seems to be one of the main sports that you actually don't follow compared to other sports? Uh, I wouldn't say I don't follow. I just, I don't find it isn't to watch as other codes. So um, the league or the AFL. Um, And I think if you follow those two codes quite strongly, like I do, then you kind of already – it's hard to have, like, a team in every single code and be passionate about every – you just don't have enough – there's not enough time, there's not enough, you know, there's too much sport. Um, it's too many Masters reruns to be watching. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's not that I – I just, to be honest, like, I don't find rugby as a game as enjoyable as the others to watch, irregardless of who's playing. Even even the Wallabies, like, I've – there'll be – if there's three things on TV and there's an AFL game, a league game, and the Wallabies are playing – like my third choice is the Wallabies game to watch. Um, what is it about the game then that you find less enjoyable? Because it's really good to be getting the opinions and thoughts of someone that doesn't isn't a tragic like Mitch and I are. So yeah. what is it when you watch a rugby union game that it just doesn't draw you in as much? Yeah, I was trying to pinpoint it today when you like because you preempted me with the question, so I had to think about it. I'm like, there's two things that really really get to me in rugby. The first is how it's an 80 minute game 
But I reckon on any given 80-minute game, there's only about 50 to 60 minutes of actual rugby, and the rest of it seems to be setting scrums. And the amount of time they just burn on a clock, setting a scrum, reset it, redo it, redo it, all this kind of stuff, and the minutes just tick off the clock. And, like, people don't want to sit there and watch a scrum be reset. Like, I get scrummaging is a big part of the game. It's important. It's But a simple fix, I reckon, would be you'd blow the time off when the sum, when the scrum is being set and until the ball comes out the back and is actually in play, you don't blow time on again. So all that resetting stuff is just done in, you know, n- just null time. So yeah, you don't then burn just minutes. Because that happens in, in the scrums a lot in rugby. That You burn a lot of time. Yeah. And so I think you get a lot less of the actual running rugby, the stuff you really want to watch, like um, with the ball moving around and stuff. I think that's one of the key things that really, really gets to me. Because I just see yeah. reset and it collapses, and, they, and I'm just looking at the clock like, ticking, ticking, and ticking. I'm like, hey, stop the clock! You get to the <laughs> last ten minutes, five just, minutes, and yeah. just, like it just is really. I find that annoying. Um, and the second thing is, I think the refs have too much of their own kind of Sweet. pull on the game, their own like, much influence, um, and there's too much. Like one ref might do one ref it one way and another ref will do it a different way there's no like black and white and it's and there's a lot of gray so games can be ref seems to be quite differently mm-hmm. in that gray area depending on which ref you've got whereas other codes like for example like afl there's a lot of whistleblowing a lot of rules but the rules are fairly black and white and there's very little gray so there's other ruling here and it's it's and the rules are the rules whereas you know i see 10 guys go in there for a big ruck and mall and i'm like somehow the ref has found a penalty that like no one else knows is going on and the ball is not coming out and someone, and you never know, like it's a 50, 50, he blows the whistle and even the players don't know which way his hand's going to go. Yeah. And you can't hang on. Like what's, what's going on there. It's, it's very like gray. Yeah. It's not like a black and white. Yeah. So would you say that you find rugby union to be inaccessible? Mm, Inaccessible. Um, well, I think if you were to turn on a game of rugby and you didn't know anything about it and watched it, there'd be a lot of questions you'd be asking, like, well, hang on, what's that about? And I get that I've grown up watching AFL and league, yeah. so you could ask, you could argue the same for those codes as well and say, well, hang on, what's that that for as well? So I get that. Um, but I just find, like, I watch rugby a lot, and I, I do know all the rules and all the hand gestures about what thing's going on, but it's like the way they determine those, Yeah, yeah. I think is... Um, yeah, it's very grey. I like black and white. I don't like a lot of grey. Mate, yeah. I just want to say thank you for your contributions. You've identified two things, really. Number one, issues around the scrums, which I think everybody in rugby union is crying out for change within. So it's good to know that that is something that people who are kind of a little bit outside the rugby union world are thinking too. Um, and then two, clarity around refereeing decisions slash maybe a shifting of the influence of referees on the game. Although I want to contest you on that point. I have heard you absolutely yell and moan about refereeing decisions against the Raiders over the last couple of years. Six oh, again? This is true. This is <laughs> oh, true. yeah, six again, yeah. six again. Yeah, the six again. Don't even start. Oh, was that that game? Oh, my goodness. Don't even. Oh, um, I have one last question. Yeah, go. Before we wrap this up. Um, so AFL and NRL are primarily uh, Australian-based competitions. Mm-hmm. Super Rugby is an international competition. We've got teams from Japan, um, South America, South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia. Does that, as an Australian sports fan, does that have any sway on your decision to watch, knowing that we'd be playing a, a team that's not sort of playing the same approach to the game because they come from another continent or another country um to be honest i've never really thought of it like that to me it's like there's you know there's 15 teams in the super 15 or whatever how many teams are in the comp there's to me it's like it's i don't put so much sway on where they're from necessarily and i i've never really understood the vagaries of like okay well the south africans will play a certain way competing in new zealanders and stuff i just watch i typically would only watch a tars game because that would be like my team Mm -hmm. um and so whether they're playing someone from from South Africa or someone from, you know, Japan or, or wherever else, it's not such – I'm not something I'm really aware of, I guess. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really sway me either way. Because like I said, it could be an international – like it could be a Wallabies game against 
I mean, against New Zealand, I guess they're the bigger ones, but it's any kind of Wallabies game that's being on, I'm still like, it could be a club league game that's not even my team, and I'll still prefer to click that on just because yeah. that's my passion to, to watch that over yeah. like international. Mm-hmm. And also, it's it also like when rugby, when we're doing well in rugby, like I want, I mean, World Cups, I'll stop all night and watch all the World Cup stuff when we've got a team that's doing well because everyone wants to support Australia team doing well. Um, but also, you know, I'm a bit of a, what do you call them, bandwagon supporter. Yeah. <laughs> so when the Wallabies are doing well, like I'll tune in more and watch it. But when they're not doing well and, you know, we haven't won a letters low in I don't know how long, it's kind of like, ah. Don't bring I, it up. It's a sore yeah, spot. Yeah, I really, positive. Yeah. We're trying to be positive on this show. We don't mention them letters low. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that's the well, uh, thing, though, for an Australian rugby. Like, that's that's like thing you want to have the letters low. Like, if you, we got yeah. the letters low back, like that would get bums on the seats. Yeah. You know, you get people go, yeah, Australian rugby is flying like we've on top of the world, and we just haven't been there for quite a long time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's only of the case we'll win the occasional fluky game against New Zealand and then get pumped the following week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> there's no consistency in performance against New Zealand but mate we're going to have to leave it there um, thank you so much for coming on to the pod and really appreciate you taking the time out to chat to us no worries at all thanks guys awesome. love the thank show you. thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast you can follow us on social media at the following outlets follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.